Sometimes I, I wonder about heaven and um, what the music will be like, and I wonder if there are going to be certain places in heaven where all will sing as hymns. Wouldn't that be great for those of us that love hymns? And we could walk in and there will just be hymn after hymn after hymn. That'd be a great thing. I love going back into the richness of uh, the music that uh, the church has provided us. Um, good evening. How are you guys doing? Good? Good. Okay, we're going to wrap up heaven tonight. I'm going to get you to heaven tonight. So um, bear with me. We've got to fly through some stuff here. But I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm committed to that because next week we're going to begin our series in James. And so if you have... Um, I think this Sunday they'll be passing out the, uh, the rave cards, and it speaks a little bit about this issue. Um, I, I picked the book of James, guys, because, uh, well, for several reasons, but pr- the primary reason, I guess, is the book of James has often been coined as, uh, or given the title of the, the New Testament book of Proverbs, that it's not um, as much uh, command after command after command as much as it is principle after principle after principle. And I'm, you know, I find myself often in the Proverbs because when I read the Proverbs, I often play the part of the fool in the Proverbs. And uh, Solomon often gave the wise versus the fool, and I find myself just living often like the fool, and so it helps correct my way. James does that in New Testament. Uh, this book actually came very, very important and alive to me. James one twenty seven says, um, for this is pure and undefiled religion that you would care for orphans and widows. And I would read that, obviously, um, probably like many of you, time and time again, and almost sometimes just glance over it. And, and then I fell into one of those categories, and then it just meant, um, it meant a little different meaning than it used to. Uh, and so I read the book of James a little bit different. James talks so practically about issues that you and I are wrestling with today. And glory be to God, praise God, that God in his wisdom could create Scripture 2,000 years ago, 2,100 years ago, that would apply to us today. Uh, how to use our tongues. Um, how to be a wise person. How to live in a, uh, not just a world of faith, but really how to live acting out my faith. And really, you know, what are the consequences if I don't? Um, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Uh, he talks about being persecuted and, and what we can look forward to in terms of the hope we have in Christ. And so... So I encourage you, if you have some time over the next several weeks, come on back. Uh, We'll be going pretty much verse by verse through that book. We'll start next week, and that will end in December. Uh, It runs through December 11th. There are three dates, I believe, in between now and December where we won't meet. Um, But you can see the info booth for that, or or, uh, talk to Mike over here. He'll give you those dates as well. Child care is returning, and so if you have children or... You want to get involved with the child care. If you know friends that can't make it because of child care, we will have that starting next week all the way through the fall. And because child care is returning, that means Kaboom's returning. Um, and that will start next week as well. Okay. So with that in mind, uh, let me go ahead and open us in a word of prayer. Um, so the, the, the house rules tonight are, um, I, I might be up here a lot and writing things and just focused up here. And so if you have a question and my back is turned to you, I really do apologize for that. Um, Mike or... Well, I just thought someone could shout out, hey, I got a question. You're not bothering me. Um, feel free to interrupt, okay? Um, and so let's go ahead and do that. I just might not see you um, ahead of time. So, And we'll try to get all the questions answered um, before you leave tonight regarding anything you want to talk about regarding heaven. So let me go ahead and open some, a word of prayer. Father God, we, we do want the best tonight. We want your word to be proclaimed. God, I pray our discussion would be sweet, not because um, we need it to be but because it revolves around your word. And God, I pray that, um, as has been happening lately, that we would come with open hearts and open minds, that we would uh, be sensitive to each other and um, yet be honest with each other. Uh, Father, I pray that you would communicate and clearly, Holy Spirit, um, communicate to all of us in here that none of us have all the answers. Uh, we dive deep into your word to search the scriptures for answers. But at the end of the day, uh, the Christian life is a life lived by faith. And so, God, it's, it's with that heart of faith that we enter into your word tonight, hoping to learn maybe a few more things about heaven uh, than we knew prior to coming in. Certainly, that's my hope tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, several questions were asked right toward the end of last week, and I, I botched up the 
landing the plane early enough to get to those questions. And so we're going to start where we left off last week, if that's okay with you all. And the way I've done it up here is, um, is, and if we can get a camera on this, just because it's real small writing, I've just put the blue, the stuff we talked about last week in blue, and then stuff we're going to talk about tonight in green, and I've got a a few more things up there uh, that I'll I'll add. Um, And if any of you have better penmanship than me and want to come and that's horrible. That is terrible writing. Well, I apologize for that. Um, So here, let's start this way. We ended last week discussing this idea, just for recap, that when I die, my soul departs and my body stays in the ground. Okay, so I have this little drawing over here where this lady died and her soul went this way and her body stays this way. And we all acknowledge that. There will come a point, according to 1 Thessalonians, Revelation 20 and Daniel 12, where this lady's body will be resurrected. A question came up last week, right toward the end there. What about those who have been cremated? And let me just lump in to that discussion. Those who have been cremated, let's take those who have lost limbs. Uh, Let's take those who were born without all of their appendages. Let's take those who who have been martyred uh, in various ways, so much so that they're... um, you can't um, really recover the body. I, mean, I think we could group all of that in the same place because what we're really asking is, is, is God big enough to retrieve all of those things, all of those atoms and molecules to give me what we talked about last week, which was this glorified body? It's a great glorified body, but I guess we need to back up and really ask the question, is God big enough to do that? And so without being too simplistic, I think he is. Um, I really do. I don't think any one of us will die in such a way or be buried in such a way that God will say, now, I know there's another Adam here somewhere. I just, I can't find it. Right? He says to, he says to, to um, Adam in Genesis 3, he says, from dust you came and dust you'll return. And so don't lose sight of the fact that when God created man, he created them out of the dirt. And if God's able to create magnificent human beings out of dirt, certainly he can retrieve everything that we need to have in our glorified bodies. Okay, And so whether you choose to be cremated financially, be honest with you guys, just having experienced this, it makes sense. On so many levels to be cremated. I know people have associated that with um, some pagan practices way, way back in the day. But, um, but I, I don't see too much evidence of that, that you can't be cremated according to the Bible. I think uh, you need to do what's best for you and your family. Um, but I wouldn't fear, I would say, if you are going to cremate a loved one, that there is something wrong with that, that God's going to leave them behind. Um, God will raise up everyone. And what we looked at last week was we call that glorification, that this is the end result of justification. So we start by getting saved by God through the blood of Christ. We grow in our walks with God. And then this is the end result, which is glorification. And these passages speak of different stages of when people will be raised. Without belaboring that, I believe that every believer that has ever lived at some point before the new heaven will be resurrected, okay? And that is different from the resurrection that I believe every unbeliever will face. But suffice it to say, every human who has ever lived will be resurrected, bodily resurrection, before the final judgment, so that when the new heaven and new earth arrive, we are ready to go not one person has been left behind. Question over here, Mike. That's how I spend my life. So. I'm still kind of confused. You said there's three heavens. I understand the first one is Adam and Eve. And then the third one will be when the, we go through the seven years and all that. And then God will come down. And Jesus, right? That would be I, I, I just, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part of that. Oh, okay. Um. I'm lost on the three heavens. The three heavens. The first one is what? With Adam and Eve. Um, Okay, yeah, so let's just pause there, I guess. Paul mentions this idea of being caught up in the third heaven. 
Um, I wouldn't get too hung up on that, only because that's about the only reference we have where Paul mentions this idea. Um, Our Latter-day Saints have really taken that idea and have run with it into a doctrine that I believe is unbiblical, where they've literally created three separate locations for the destination of souls. I don't think that's what Paul meant when he meant that passage. And so what I was clarifying during week one was that when he got caught up into the third heaven, I do feel comfortable in saying that that is the eternal heaven. That is God's dwelling place. I believe that the first and maybe the second heaven even would be the atmospheric heaven. That's the sky uh, when we look up the universe, for instance, okay? So, yeah, I don't want to get too bogged down on that because there's not ample evidence to suggest that there are three literal heavens and we get to pick and choose and and determine which ones. In fact, our Jehovah Witnesses um, uh, friends believe that there are a significant amount, well, 144,000 that will be in that third heaven and everyone else will rest on paradise earth. Interesting, the reason they had to come up with that was because they simply ran out of room. Um, they never imagined that their, that their belief, their, their group would grow past 144,000. And they derived that number from 12,000 from each tribe. And so they believe that that is biblical. It doesn't play, though, if you're not one of the 144,000. And they're just about out of room in terms of that, that number. There's only, I believe, a few thousand left that are living still. Um, and so they ran out of room, so they had to come up with another place. So I don't want to go that way. I think that there are two places that we will end up, heaven or hell. And that heaven is, well, we'll get to it in just a second here. Um, that will come down to earth, the new heaven. On the, on the new heaven and new earth, yeah. will we be able to go back and forth? To? From heaven to earth? Um, it'll be the same. Okay, and so the, when, when the writer, in, when John in Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and new earth, um, I was going to write this later, but might as well write it now. Okay. I think that these are synonymous. That's supposed to be a slash. Okay, I think that there's enough evidence to point to the fact that when the New Jerusalem comes down out of the current heaven, and remember we talked about this idea of there being a present or intermediate heaven right now, that the loved ones that have passed away right now go somewhere, and we believe that they go to heaven. We call that heaven. Jesus, I believe, called it paradise to the thief on the cross. But we have to recognize that if Revelation 21 and 22 talk about a new heaven and new earth, that would signify that the current location of our loved ones that have passed before Christ returns has to be different, even if it's just by name it has to be different, than the eternal, future, everlasting, non-changing heaven, if that makes sense, okay? And I believe that because the New Jerusalem is coming down this way, and God, will read in Revelation chapter 21, is coming down with the New Jerusalem. And this is referred to as uh, the holy city. Some people have referred it to as the capital city. But the resting place is here. Now here's something, and I want to get back to this, so make, don't let me not get back to this, but I... This may blow some of your minds tonight, and, and, and I'm okay with that. And the reason I'm okay with it is because I'm not claiming prophecy here. I'm not claiming perfection. And we live by faith. Let's just all admit this. So I could be wrong, but an opinion which is supported by several people, guys, theologians and people way smarter than me, agree to this fact. That the earth you and I currently reside on won't be destroyed necessarily, but restored. It won't be annihilated, but it will be um, redeemed. And therefore you have, you know, you can put New Jerusalem here somewhere. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into Revelation 21 here tonight. But so that's where we're ending up. So the new heaven and new earth are going to be one. So there will be no going back and forth, if, if you will, um, like we would think of today. So, okay. Um, one more, and then, uh, and then I want to hit some of this stuff here. Okay. I hope I can explain this. Um, some believe that when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes. Um, 
I have a couple questions here. Number one, did Jesus go to paradise that day? Right. Okay. Number yeah. two, like you said, uh, when we die, our souls go up. Where do they go? Which leads into question number three. Then who are the dead in Christ? Who will rise first if we've already gone up? Okay. Uh, it's a three-part question. I will take number three first. Uh, these are the dead in Christ here. Um, the dead in Christ will rise first. The first resurrection is actually broken up into several different stages. Um, there are people that, have, that rose when Jesus rose from the grave. They rose with him. We don't know too much about those people, um, but they're all, let me just signify, they're all part of the first resurrection. Okay, this is all part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection just pertains to believers only. Okay, um, The dead in Christ would be right here. In fact, if you have your Bibles, rather than me blabber, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The other passage speaks of the people who have been martyred, which is Revelation chapter 20. But we'll look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because that's probably the most uh, famous, if you will, passage. Uh, New Testament, go to the Timothys and Titus, work your way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, it says in verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. I don't mean that to be fallen asleep as literally sleeping, but I think that there's enough terms regarding sleeping that equate to death. And so I think he's talking about even so God will bring with him those who have died uh, are those who have died in Jesus, believers, if we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have again fallen asleep, who have died before us, okay? So he's talking about two groups of people. One person is someone who's still living, one person who has died. Both people, though, know Jesus. And then he says, for the Lord himself would descend with, from heaven with a shout, with a voice from the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ, there we have it, shall rise first. Then we who are alive shall re and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we will be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Okay, so the third part of that question is who are the dead in Christ? I believe it's every person who has, I take that back, I believe it is what we deem as the church age believer. I believe that there are enough Old Testament passages in Jeremiah and Daniel that speak of a resurrection, a bodily resurrection of Old Testament saints. And I take that, I would put that right before, um, I'd put it, well, graph-wise, I'd put it right before the millennial reign that those people will be raised. But let's just say, for argument's sake, the dead in Christ are those who have died right now who know Jesus Christ. And so that's the group, so Leanne, my wife, maybe your loved one, those are the dead in Christ. So when he talks about the dead in Christ rising first, that is their bodily resurrection that is going to happen. They will physically rise from the grave. And that's why I have this little picture. Her soul immediately goes to heaven. Paul says in Philippians 1, 3, I'd rather, if I, I'd rather be with Christ right now than to carry on my duties. But because I have duties and God hasn't called me home yet, uh, I'm here. But I'd rather be present with the Lord right now. There seems to be throughout Scripture an immediacy to go to be with God. Therefore, I don't believe in a sort of transition period, soul sleep, etc. I believe there's an immediacy because of Jesus' comment to the thief, because of um, Paul's desire to be with him immediately. I don't get the indication that there is a resting place. And quite simply, logically, I don't know why there would be. What would be the point of us going to a soul sleep? Why wouldn't we enter into the presence of our king? And so I believe that her soul here goes immediately to heaven, but her body obviously is down here. It needs to be raised. And so when Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first, I believe that's what he means. That, that the people who have died who know Jesus will literally rise from the ashes, from the grave. Yes. Good question. The question is, if we're going to get a new body, why bother with the old? Right? Is that, am I correct with that? Yeah. Yeah, look at yourselves now. I mean, why bother? <laughs> really? Um, 
just we're getting beat up every day. We're just getting beat up every day. And, and this pertains to this a little bit. Will we age in heaven? And I think it's the same question, which is, um, yeah, I think we long for new bodies. In fact, Romans 8 talks about, you know, creation groans. Um, I think it uses the word pangs or pains there that we long to be made new. And I think that's all of creation. I think it's physical creation even. Um, and I believe it's us too. So why, why not just eradicate everyone and just give us these brand new bodies? Two reasons, I think. One, I think our identities are wrapped up in our bodies. I think our identities, the way we know each other here is through our bodies. Uh, certainly that's the case for Jesus. We talked last week about Jesus rising from the grave and Jesus, when he rose from the grave, they identified him not through his spirit or his soul. They identified him because he had a resurrected body. And there's an identity continuity, I believe, that will carry on into heaven. Uh, I don't believe that when it says that we will be made new or even that we will be like Jesus, that that means that we will be completely unidentifiable as, as if, okay, I'm 5'8 and so much weight and then I have, you know, strawberry blonde hair or whatever. Um, it's not so much that as it is if you were to look at a picture of me when I was five and look at a picture when I was 25 and then what I am now, you could see, okay, that's Greg. That's, I could see that. Um, and I think that that will carry on. And this, this, the second thing is, so it's an identity thing, but the second thing I think is a God thing. What I mean by that is when God created man, as I mentioned last week, he said it is very good. And I just, I don't see God as a quitter. I don't see God as, as scrapping his creation because of sin. I think Satan really does win in that sense. I think, I think death does have a sting. If God cannot look at his creation racked with sin, riddled with shame, beaten down physically and say, watch this. You want to see something powerful? I'll resurrect what you can't even see right now. What has become dust, I will resurrect it into a glorified body. So I take that cue from Jesus. Jesus didn't get a brand new body in the sense of he was unidentifiable. He showed up as a, as a Jewish carpenter and then raised, was raised as, um, you know, uh, an African-American or something like that, right? He, he, he was raised in a way that other Jews could identify him. So I, I think we, we will have, now I will say this, though it will be identifiable and there will be characteristics that will be the same, we mentioned this last week, I believe that you'll be able to walk and talk and eat and I believe that our bodies will be imperishable and glorious and powerful and spiritual. With that said, let me be clear, they will be different. They will be without sin. Uh, they will be... Um, brand new in that sense. I think that it will take us thousands of years to even get used to our new bodies because they'll be that cool and brand new. But there will be familiarity. Yeah. So is there any scripture that would explain to us what happens when the two collide, like the soul and then the risen body? I mean, do we come back together or? How, it, how, it, how it's physically going to look? Yeah, no, this is about the closest we come. It says that they will rise first and then we, um, we are who alive will be remaining caught up together. A lot of theologians there take verse 17 to be that's the transformation. Now, now think about this because this could be a wild scene. You're here on earth and there's, there's nothing to say, guys, that Jesus couldn't return next week, right? There's, I mean, we live like he's not, but who knows? I mean, Jesus could descend and return. So we who are alive right now, the scriptures say will be the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so all those who have died will rise first. And so I don't know if we'll see that. I don't know if we'll, you know, I don't know what that will look like. But somehow we will then be caught up together in the air with Christ. And I believe somehow between lifting off earth, ascending like Jesus did, before we reach the intermediate or present heaven, I think our bodies will be transformed. How they come back. I don't know, but so, and, and that's a good point. Are there souls in heaven or do they have bodies right now? And I think we concluded last week by saying they have bodies. In fact, um, we didn't get to this passage, so let's turn there real quick. Go to Revelation chapter 6. The three, uh, the, I think I have it right up here. Here are five passages, I believe, 
that I believe support the idea that those who have died right now in Christ have a, a, a body um, or they're in bodily form. I don't think in any shape or form that heaven, excuse me, the intermediate or present heaven right now is being populated by, you know, Caspers and the friendly ghost. I don't think that's happening. And these are the reasons. I think in Revelation 6, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 6. In Genesis 5, we have Enoch taking out of earth right into heaven. Um, in Acts, uh, I'd have to look up that passage in Acts 1 there. But in 2 Kings, we have Elijah being taken out. In Philippians 2.9, it's an interesting passage. Probably you're all familiar with it. It says, and every knee shall what? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, how do you bow and how do you confess unless you have a knee and a tongue? In Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 9. Revelation 6, 9, John um, writes this. He says, and when he, Jesus, broke the fifth seal, this is, uh, these are the judgments that are about to happen here. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. Okay, so all we know is that we have people who have been martyred. They've been slain because of the word of God, and they're under the altar. Um, and this is in heaven. This is in not the, we're not here yet. Okay, the new heavens haven't come down yet. We're somewhere here. Now, I don't care if you place it in the beginning of the tribulation, the beginning of the millennium. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me what your eschatological viewpoint is, but it, I know it's before this. Okay, so with that in mind, I think it's important because it says this, then the souls who have been slain of the word of God because of the testimony which they maintain. These souls cried out in verse 10 with a loud voice. Okay, so I don't know much, right? And I'm just reading what, what is written here. But what do I have to have to cry out with a loud voice? I mean, you got to have something, right? I mean, they're not crying out of their navel or, you know, and I don't know why my navel's over here should be right here saying how long O lord holy and true will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth that's a very very interesting statement isn't it that the people have been martyred are somewhere other than earth okay so i don't you know i don't care where you place them but they're not in hell and they're not on earth so i'm placing them right here and they're crying out to God. And here's what they ask God. They ask him. First of all, they acknowledge who he is, which is great. But then they say, how long are you going to refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, again, let's just be students of observation. What do I have to do if I'm if I'm one of these martyrs? What do I have to know? What am I asking God to do? Don't get confused, just read the text. What am I asking God to do? To avenge them. What do they remember, folks? How long, O holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It seems like they remember what? So guys, uh, you know, and, and again, uh, all I'm doing is reading and asking the question, how would they remember that? If all we do is die and get to heaven and life's a wash and we just, you know, we're blinded by, you know, we don't know anything or anyone and we're bodiless souls, disembodied spirits that just float around and we're just kind of clueless up there, which sadly is a lot of our perceptions about heaven. How do these people remember so all I'm doing is asking the question, could it be that there is some continuity between life on earth and the afterlife? Could it be? You don't have to agree. You can vehemently disagree. I'm just asking the question. Yeah. Um, if I interpret you correctly, you're saying before Christ's second coming, people who die yes. will have a body in the ground and we're going to have a second body in heaven with the Lord. Correct. I don't know anything in scripture that says we have two bodies at the same time. 
Um, can you clarify that? I, I understand the scriptures that you just read, but that doesn't mean we have two bodies at the same time. Can you clarify that, please? Sure. Um, I guess my question back would be, what, does, what do those scriptures mean then? Well, it does say that when Christ comes, those who have died already, our bodies will come from dust and be Okay, risen, so we know right? those who have died... Which is what I'm talking about. Right. Their bodies are in the ground. Including your wife. So your the question wife. on the table is, what, what are they doing right now? What, what form are they in right now? Yeah, but there's nothing that says we have, we'll have two bodies. Okay, so watch this. Time. Good question. So watch this. In verse 11, now would you agree then, because you asked the question, would you agree that those who have been martyred, their souls departed from their bodies? My interpretation is when you die, your body goes in the ground. Okay, so these people the have been martyred. Is, am, I, am I incorrect? I'm, I'm asking you. I'm just, let's just ask the question. The people who have been martyred in this passage, right? And we take that probably during the tribulation period. That's, we'll, we'll, let's just assume that for argument's sake. But anyway, they're living for the Lord, right? They're saying we believe in Jesus. And someone says, if you continue to say that, I'm going to kill you. So they say, well, we're going to continue to say it. They all lose their head, Okay. Can we agree that at that point, like every other person who has lived in Christ, their soul departs and their body is left on earth? This is before Christ's second coming. Correct. That's my interpretation. Okay, yes. so now watch. So then verse 11 of this particular passage. In fact, go ahead, you read it. Read, read verse 11 first. I struggle to do this, but I will try because... Um, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't want to put no, you on the no, spot. I, think there. I can do it. Okay. I watched... As he opened the sixth seal. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Go one up. Then each of them was given a white robe. Okay, so stop right there. So again, a lot of speculation. There's a lot, you know, there could, but could it be? All I'm doing is reading and asking questions. So I'm asking this. How do you cry out with a loud voice without a voice piece? And then my second question is, what are they putting the robes on? So if each one of them was given a white robe, and I'm not suggesting we all get them, I'm just suggesting these people got them. So if there's multiple people around the altar, they're crying out to God, God, how long will you wait to avenge us? And it's interesting, God's comment, which I think was, is, is great. Um, if you keep reading, it says, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. So that's God's answer to them. God doesn't say to them, um, oh, thanks for reminding me. Let me just go and, and annihilate people. He says, I've got this, and my timing is better than yours, and my timing is going to include more people that are going to suffer uh, at, the, at the hands of others. They're going to die too. But to each one of them that had already died, it says... They were given a white robe. Now, again, I'm not, I don't want to make a big deal of this, but I do want to make a deal of this, which is what do you, how can you put a robe on a disembodied spirit? What's it hang on? So I take it, and, and so I'll, I'll add to that. If Enoch left earth and went right up into heaven, and he doesn't have a body, then his body had to have disappeared sometime between leaving earth and going to heaven. If he's going to look like the rest of us, which don't have any bodies in heaven, he's got to lose his body somehow. Or could it be that his body was glorified or transformed on his way up? When Elijah went up, could his body have been transformed? Otherwise, if we agree that no one has bodies in heaven right now because their bodies are decaying here on earth, then really we do have to claim the position that we're all just disembodied floating souls waiting for our resurrection bodies to happen. I'm not saying you can't believe that. But if I have those two options, I'm going with the one that says we have a temporary body in heaven. Then what's the significance of our, of our bodies on earth after we die? I mean, it's a big deal. When Christ comes, they will be, will we, we, we will be raised up right. into the and clouds. So if correct. we already have a body up in the clouds, or, there's nothing in Scripture that I know of, and I'm not a scholar by any means. I am one that wants to learn and create yeah, knowledge. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. My understanding is we have a body, a, a dead body in the earth. There's nothing I've read that says we, we will join our second body in heaven. It says we will join our spirit. 
or our or, soul. Or, or, our soul. Right. right. And so this passage has both the word in verse 9. It says, I saw underneath the altar the souls who had been slain. So he uses that terminology of soul. But then in verse 11, he gives that soul a white robe. So I, I don't know how he does that without that soul having a body of some sort. I, I appreciate you allowing me the discussion. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. They're great questions. Um, we're not going to get to heaven. We've got to get to heaven here, guys. So one more question. I've got to get us to heaven or else we're going to be stuck on earth. Just to take that a little further, why did they ask the question in the first place? Okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating passage, and I'm kind of one of those, like, you know, what's so big about this passage? Are you kidding me? You've got souls in heaven that are asking God, how long are you, till you avenge us? Which means, again, do they know what happened to them on earth? It seems like they do. Are they a little righteously ticked? I don't get this feeling like they're just kind of like, you know, just kind of lying there down, you know, and just kind of, you know, and I get the feeling like they are really righteously upset. Well, we can't sin in heaven. I don't think they are sinning. I think they're, they're asking God a very legitimate question. And I think based on God's answer, I think that this happens based on God's answer. Uh, I don't know where I put it. Um, it's somewhere up here. Oh, it's here. I think, you know what I think those souls just did in that moment when God answered them in verse 11? I think they learned something. So if you want to know, do we learn anything in heaven? Because a misconception is, is once I die and get to heaven, boom, I know everything. Ask me a math question because I'll know it. We really, we live with that, we live with that perception of, boom, once I die, I'll know it all. One, you, you and I will never be God, folks, Ever. And two, I think that, that, that by that alone, that one little verse alone suggests those souls didn't know that God was going to say, you need to wait a little longer. So I think they learned something that day. I think that, uh, well, okay. Okay, so whether we can agree to disagree, and that's perfectly fine, folks. I am not suggesting this is the end all. I am suggesting that I think what I have up here is supported through some scripture but you may look at that scripture and come to a completely different conclusion. You may look at the white robes as some do and say that is purely symbolic, meaning purity or righteousness. Okay. Okay. But is it possible that it could be a literal robe? That's, that's all I'm asking. Okay. All right. You get your body. I think that there is a present heaven that people are in right now. Now, I've added these up here because we didn't address these. So let me really quickly then address these. Um, fascinating passage because you're in Revelation. Just go one page over to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Listen to this in verse 9. And after these things, Revelation 7, 9, I looked, John looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. Guys, there, there's, just, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven. That's exciting. Uh, there is, there, he couldn't count the multitude from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes. There we have it again, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they were crying out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Some people actually think that these people, all of them were martyred. So think about this. People who have died for their faith, John looked at the number, couldn't even count all of them. I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people who have died for their faith in Christ. Standing before the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation, palm branches in their hands, crying out, salvation to our God who sits on the throne. Now, why do I bring that to our attention? Because one... There are people from different tribes, tongues, and nations. Well, what does that mean? That means that if I was born in Africa, raised in Africa, I am an African, and I die, I believe you are resurrected as an African. It, it just makes sense that if, if you're from every tribe, tongue, and nation, that means that we all have to be represented in heaven. 
I don't think that you are going to have a glorified body that if you are a Caucasian, that's going to be un-Caucasian. I just don't see that. But rather, I see the natural transition that you will be identified in heaven because these people were identified in heaven. So I think we retain our identities. In Matthew chapter 17, um, well, real quickly, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is talking here. Uh, Matthew 17, verses 3 and 4. Uh, I'm sorry, this is the transfiguration of, of Moses and Elijah. Right, so it says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. We all know, or most of us know about the transfiguration. And was talking to Jesus. And, and Peter, James, and John, the three, the guys in the three kind of inner circle, they see this. So they see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Now again, where were Moses and Elijah before coming down to talk to Jesus, but in heaven. They didn't lose their identity because they were identified in Matthew. When Moses died, he retained his identity as Moses, albeit in a transfigured or glorified body, but somehow they were able to identify him. I don't think we lose our identities. Um, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, if anyone's name was found written in the book of life. Now, again, make the connection. If anyone's name was found i think you retain some identity what's interesting in revelation chapter 2 verse 7 it's just a phenomenal passage if you get some time jesus says to he who overcomes i'm sorry i just got to read it for you to he who overcomes you get a couple things um heaven is exciting on many levels but here's one reason um I'm sorry, 2.17. That should be 2.17. Jesus says to the church at Pergamum, he says, To he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, and some debate whether that's all believers or just those who have persevered, uh, whatever. To him, you get two things. Look at this. I will give him some of the hidden manna. And then Jesus says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17... And I will give him a white stone. So you get this white rock. And a new name written on the stone. Which no one knows but he who receives it. Jesus says to him who overcomes, I'm going to give you a couple things. One, I'm going to give you some hidden manna. Heavenly food, you know, is Israel's food. And then I'm going to give you a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but him who receives it. I don't know what that means. I'm just reading the text and somehow John says through Jesus, you're going to, you know, to him who overcomes, you get this white rock with a name on it. And, and no one else is going to know the name, but maybe you and Jesus. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, Jesus changed a lot of names. There were a lot of names in the scripture that were changed. So maybe Jesus says, you were, you were Bob, and now I want you to be, and flip your rock over. And it's, you know. I am serious when I say this. I really hope if I get a white rock and I flip it over, it has the name Seven on it. That is a cool name, guys. Seven. I had a discussion with my 12-year-old, because I've been telling him this from the day he was born. I said, if your mom... If your mom loved me, she would have let me name you Seven. So I've been telling that for 12 years now. And he knows I'm kidding and stuff. But the other day he says to me, Dad, what does it take to legally change your name? And I thought, man, he's getting close. Now here's the scary thing. So I need some accountability here. I was actually considering it. Changing my kid's name from Caden to Seven. See, that's the beauty of it, either way. How many times do we sign our names on things? All he's got to do, boom, seven, done. <laughs> Who are you dating? Seven. He, he would never have to have a last name. It's a, it's a, it's a great plan. Um, the, the adults in our family, grandparents, they're not big fans of it. Um, but anyway, so that's what I'm hoping for. Anyway, I think there's some name issues in heaven. Here's one. What about age in heaven? Will you age in heaven? These two passages, we won't look at it for time's sake, but suggest that children are at least in the millennial kingdom. 
Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 6, 9 says that children will lie down with the serpent and stick their hands in the serpent holes and won't be, won't be bitten. Um, Isaiah 65 speaks of people aging. It says, uh, and, and children will age and says something to the effect of if, if, if a youth dies at the age of 100, they haven't lived a great life. In other words, 100 is too young to die. Now, again, there is no death in heaven, so I take that passage to be maybe the millennial kingdom, where I think there may be death during the millennial reign of Christ. But nonetheless, we have this issue of age. There is no answer to this, so let me just kind of move on. There is, I haven't found anything in the scriptures that suggests there's a perfect age, there's an optimal age, there is, because we all say, what's the optimal age? We all say it's 33, because that's when Jesus died, it makes sense, um, but the problem is, is that we're basing that off of a 75-year lifespan. Well, what about those who live six, seven, eight, nine hundred years in the Old Testament? 33, that's like you're a baby. So why would that be the optimal age? So I don't know, honestly. I don't know how that works. I don't know how, I honestly believe, guys, that, that, that those who have been aborted, those babies who have been aborted, nine weeks, ten weeks old, okay, they're in heaven. I, I, for various reasons, I believe that. I don't think you stay a nine-week fetus forever. I just don't. How, what do you do? What's the point, right? You're completely dependent on it. So I, I believe that fetus would grow. I honestly, personally, my heart believes that um, those that have an, a great affinity for children here, um, they will be busy in heaven uh, helping raise little children, loving on little kids. Um, it's a natural fit. Um, I had to substitute once for a first grade class, and I literally had to lie down during the break because they wore me out. So I'm not going to be one of those people raising the kids. But, the, but Leanne, she, that was her energy, was to be around kids. I don't know, could it be? Again, speculation, so I'll admit that. But could it be that part of her fulfillment, her joy in heaven, is being around little children and watching them grow? So once I introduce that, that point, though, I, I admit there's a problem to that point, which is, well, do you ever stop aging? So I get that. So I'm not, you know... I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, what about sex in heaven? Is there sex in heaven? And we'll end right there. No. Um, so real quickly, I'll, I'll just give you my two cents. I don't think there is. Uh, I've read some articles where the people are adamant that there is. I don't think there is. Uh, one, there's just one passage uh, Jesus talks about um, being like the angels in Matthew 22. And he says, like the angels, they shall neither, neither marry or be married in heaven. Speaking about us. So I don't believe there is marriage in heaven. Um, again, I'm not going to live or die over this. But I do not believe that when you die, you will be reunited with your spouse in a marital sense. Personally, the, the, the reason goes beyond just this passage. For those of us who have been married, you know the connection you have with that person. And let's just be free to admit it. That connection with that person threatens our connection with God in the sense of usurping it. Often, we look at our spouse um, with, with, you know, dare I say, eyes of worship. Um, you're the best thing that's ever happened to you. You're, you know, you're my, you're my soulmate. You're my connection. You're, you complete me. And when we get to heaven, and even now, I guess I should say, who completes us? Uh, Christ completes us. But we have this beautiful institution of marriage. It's a great thing. I just don't see it supported in heaven. And again, this is where we would differ from Latter-day Saints. They do see that. And so I don't. So with that said, I carry that over to sex. And I don't think there will be sex in heaven because, um, because of that. Because I believe sex was reserved for marriage, preserved for marriage. And if there is no marriage, no sex. It begs the question on many different levels. Then will we have reproductive organs? And the best I've heard of that simply uh, is that Jesus had reproductive organs. And he didn't use them. Paul had reproductive organs. He didn't use them. You don't have to use them, but you can have them. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know, but that's my claim on that. If you have a different thought on that, you know, that's great. Um, it, sex is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and, but I think that God is big enough to meet all of our needs and fulfill all of our desires. And I think we can safely say, uh, being somewhat mature adults in here, I think we can safely say 
um, sex is a dangerous thing. Uh, I think we really flirt with many times heading into sin because of sexual activity. It's a beautiful thing. It's a godly thing, God-given thing. But we have messed it up big time here on earth. So unless God does something amazingly different um, where we wouldn't view it as any kind of sin, and I, I can't separate that from a marriage partner. But then again, we're back into then a, a connection with somebody in heaven that would rival your connection with God. So food for thought. Um, will we have minds in heaven? These two passages speak to people who will rule and reign with Jesus. This passage speaks to martyrs who will rule and reign with him. This passage speaks to overcomers who will rule and reign with him. Now, those two passages speak to those who will rule and reign during the millennial reign. But I think it does speak to the point of we will use our minds in heaven. We won't just use our minds. Well, I'll just say this. All the passages that speak of us worshiping Christ in heaven, I hope when you worship here at Cornerstone, you're using your mind. I hope we're not just blindly just reading the words, not understanding what they say. So why wouldn't we worship with our minds in heaven? These are jobs in heaven that he gives these two groups to to rule and reign with him. It's an exciting thing. We just don't have time to talk about it. But there's going to be a group of people, folks, and you may be included in that. I really do believe, according to Revelation chapter 2, that some people here on earth are in heaven right now, when Christ comes to reign back on earth for a thousand years, and again, that's my position. I believe that there is a literal reign. You don't have to believe that. But if that's true, I believe that that passage says he's going to bring people with him to rule and reign with him. And why not you? Why can't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? It's, an ex- it's going to be exciting, folks. There's adventure that lies ahead. Um, will we remember our loved ones in heaven? Uh, Luke 16 speaks to the uh, rich man and Lazarus. We know that the rich man remembered his loved ones because he begged Lazarus to remind his loved ones to not do what he did. Uh, we have a passage in Matthew 26 where Jesus says to his disciples, uh, I'm not going to drink of the fruit because I'm saving that for when we get to the kingdom, you and I, all, all 12 of us, will drink of the fruit in the new kingdom. There is a remembrance there of loved ones. Second Samuel is the passage where David says when his child dies, he stops mourning and all his buddies come up and say, you should be fasting and mourning now. He says, why? My child's already dead. And then he says something pivotal. He says, I can't bring him back, but where he is, I will go. And so I think there's a remembrance there. I think there will be a connection there between David and his child. You know what I've thought about, quite honestly? If Malia lives till 95, she'll have only known her mother for three years, three and a half years. She will die older than her mother. So how do you, God, how do you put together a daughter and mom where the daughter had more life experience than the mom? How how do you work that relationship? Blows my mind. But I like to think that one day my daughter and my, my former wife will come together and, and have some sort of connection. I'd like to think that. Um, will we work in heaven? I believe, again, based on these passages over here about ruling and reigning with him. And there's a passage in Luke 19 where Jesus says, To him who has given much here on earth and has done well with it. Talks about giving you five minus, ten minus, two minus, pieces of money, coins. And he says to the guy that took ten and doubled it. He says, you're going to be a manager. I'm going to give you stewardship um, in a very big way. And some theologians have taken that to be in a future sense. That there is what you do here on earth matters so much that you could be doing some of that in heaven as well. Okay, the big question then. We've reached the time where we need to talk about animals in heaven. Um, I honestly, guys, and I save this because it's not a huge deal for me. It's not a deal breaker by any means. I can only find a few passages that support the idea of animals in heaven. There's one in Revelation 8 which says an eagle was flying around. And it's a cool passage if you get a chance to read it because the eagle was shouting out, crying out words like Balaam's donkey kind of a thing. It's kind of a cool thing. 2 Kings 2.11, Elijah's taken up into heaven in, with, in a chariot. And guess what was running on the chariot, the front of the chariot? Two horses. Well, where'd they go? I don't know, maybe in heaven, right? I mean, they're, maybe they're the only two horses in heaven. You got the four horses with the uh, four um, apocalyptic horses. But those are kind of cool, like big horses. I think these were normal horses. 
Uh, you've got during the millennial reign, you've got in Isaiah chapter 11, you have, um, again, that's, I believe that's here on earth, but that is uh, us ruling and reigning with Jesus here on earth for a thousand years. And there are animals in Isaiah chapter 11, tons of them. Um, and I think that when God says in Revelation chapter 21, 5, I'm making all things new, I don't think the animal kingdom is excluded from that. I think he is making the animal kingdom new. Of course, what's on our hearts, though, is, is Fluffy going to heaven, right? That's what you're really thinking. And I can understand that. Fluffy meant a lot to you. Um, isn't it interesting, too, when we say we're putting Fluffy down or putting Fluffy to sleep, we don't say we're killing Fluffy. Um, we use that term, putting Fluffy to sleep. Um, no, you're, you're, you're ending Fluffy's life. Um, and, and so we feel bad about that. Honestly, I'm not making fun of that. We really do feel bad about that. I've had to put my dogs down. It's a hard thing to do. And so we want to think, uh, you know, and we tell our kids this and our grandkids, that's okay, you know, Jethro will be with you in heaven. Um, Scooby will be with you in heaven. That's fine. I'm, you know, um, Easter Bunny, Santa kind of stuff, that's okay. Um, no one lives or dies over that kind of stuff. Um, I just want to come alongside of you and say, please don't say, that's okay, Scooby's in heaven. And here are the 15 passages that support Scooby being in heaven. Because um, you're going to be 15 short. Um, I just can't find any. Um, but there are animals. There are animals in the future. So uh, we, we can agree on that. I'd like to go back to the jobs issue again. Um, back in Genesis, at creation, there was no plan for governance of the earth. They were just to inhabit the Garden of Eden. Okay. And then after the fall, it came all of the stuff in governance in the Old Testament, and it works. By way of laws and stuff? Yes. Correct. Now, why, and also working. You know, you'll, you'll earn your living through the sweat of your brow and, and that sort of business. Um, why will it be necessary to have governance if you are essentially returned to the pure relationship with the Father before the fall. Why is that necessary? Yeah, so I would say that in Genesis 1 and 2, I think there was work. Um, and I think there was governance. I think God said to Adam, well, what job did God give Adam? Name the animals. Um, and not only that, but really to manage the Garden of Eden. I think that he said to, to Adam and Eve, uh, Genesis what, 127 to 128, you are to subdue the earth and, and manage it. In fact, I think it was always God's design that the pinnacle of his creation would rule his creation, would manage his creation. I think that's clear. And then so what you're talking about in Genesis 3 is when the curse comes, God said, now you're going to hate work. Where I meant it for good, I meant it to be fulfilling. I meant it to be that you would have a job and love your job and work hard at it and find fulfillment in it. Now you're going to curse it. Now the, the sweat is going to fall from your brow because the ground you're going to toil is just going to be rock hard. That's from the sin. So God's going to do this. Man, I'm going to restore this earth. And I, So here's my promise. We're out of time, so my promise is this. Um, I'm going to start next week with a little bit about this. Is that okay? And I apologize for that. But I'm excited about heaven. I'm excited about going to heaven, and I think the scriptures have some things to say about heaven, and I just don't want to drop it here. So we're going to start 10 minutes next week talking about the new heaven, because it's a wild and fun place. But I think it will include work, okay? Um, let me end tonight with a little bit of hope. Um, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know much, folks, but I know this. I am going to a place where my God and my Christ are going to be forever with me. And so, and that love that we have the, the, between the three of us, including the Holy Spirit, that will never be able to be separated from me. So whatever you think about this being figurative or literal or where's it going to be, let's agree on this. God's going to be there. Christ is going to be there. The Spirit will be there. We're going to be there. And nothing is going to separate us from that love.
Okay? Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for tonight. A little further along maybe, Father, I hope. I hope we can um, take a few more steps toward clarity for some of us. Uh, certainly for me, Father, it's exciting to look at your word. And it's even exciting to be confused at times. Because it gives me hope, Father, that this life is fleeting quickly. And the life that is to come is going to be full of adventure. It's going to be full of joy, full of excitement. I think that many times, God, we are we're selling ourselves short when we look at heaven and the afterlife and, and kind of flatline and get depressed. Having a glorified body that's never going to get sick. Being in a place that was meant to last forever. God, that's all I need to know to be excited. And God, you color it, you paint this canvas in the scriptures with some other great facts for us. And I'm just excited. God, I pray that maybe a few of us in here are excited. I pray that we would live uh, even getting up tomorrow. Even through our struggles, because I know many of us are struggling in here. That in that midst of that struggle, maybe tomorrow we wake up and say, I don't know, you know, what today's going to hold, but I know what awaits me, and that is an eternity with my King. God, give us the, uh, the strength we need to have a great night and a uh, good rest of the day tomorrow. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll uh, talk about New Jerusalem, New Heaven uh, next week.